Kumite Radio is brought to you by Supplement Warfare. Visit their website, supplementwarfare.com.au for the best quality supplements on the planet. Use coupon code Kumute Radio at checkout to get 10% off of all orders. Join me right now is UFC veteran Damian Beatdown Brown. What's going on, Damian? Welcome to Kumite Radio. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me again. No doubt, Damian. Um, you know, everybody knows you recently announced on social media that you and the UFC parted ways. When you first heard the news, what was your initial reaction to it? Uh, I mean, I was uh, I was devastated, man. Um, I spent sobbing, falling professionally for nine years, and um, sorry, eight years. I've been training for like a decade uh, in MMA, and um, pretty much like as long as I can remember, maybe the first few fights was just uh, was a bit of fun or whatever, and then you know by the time I got to six and zero. My only goal was to fight in the UFC. So, you know, every time I had a losing streak and people, like, you know, family were like, oh, you know, are you done now? Like, I was never done. I was never done until I until I reached the UFC. Like, I would have kept going until, A, I was too old for the sport and I just didn't have it anymore. Or, B, like, financially, I couldn't um, sustain the lifestyle that I was living. You know, I've got a yeah, house and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, like, as long as I could afford to do it, I would have kept doing it until I got to the UFC. So my entire focus has been on that. And then when I got there, you know, I was, I was living my dream. Um, so for that to be taken away, it was, you know, I was devastated. But at the same time, I was probably, probably more upset, not that the UFC parted ways, but just off the back of the last two fights. You know, I know I've lost three in a row, but... Last two split decisions. Um, I thought Sydney was a draw, and I feel like I was robbed in Perth. So I, I kind of felt like it was a little bit unjust. Um, you know, only two fights ago, I got top five fight of the year for 2017, and we got fight of the night. And um, my opponent was five pounds overweight. So I, I thought, you know, I definitely thought I had one more, one more chance. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, you know, it's business, man. That's that's the way they roll. So um, everyone knows that. I thought uh, at the time that I was lucky to get a third fight. So uh, I guess I was just hoping for another one. You shot onto the international scene, of course, in the UFC. Your fighting style, you go forward, you throw hard, you take shots. That's what you're known for. Now, moving forward, do you look back at that and say, hey, maybe I should – change my style a little bit or are you just gonna do what you do is that your way no i don't think i need to change my style i mean my style is the reason why i won five fights in a row in 2000 you know 2015 and got into the ufc um it's the same reason my first six fights i was six and i like i think it's an aggressive style and um as a fighter of you know as a martial artist i've developed my skill level over time um and I feel like I can I can match skill with aggression these days as opposed to just being aggressive and going forward. So I don't think I need to change my fight. So like I said, I, I felt like I was robbed in the last fight. And I tried to do things different there. It felt like we won the fight and it was a calculated and technical performance. It wasn't a brawl at all. You know, I, um, I 
I didn't brawl, I didn't get injured. Like, so I felt like I did something different there. Uh, it was still reasonably exciting. I just need to maintain my style and maybe uh, lift my work rate a little more. What are your thoughts on moving forward now? What is the future hold for you? Um, so I, I, I guess like most guys would probably go away and try and win three or four fights and get back to the UFC. And for me, my experience in the UFC was amazing. And the people, the people there, like, you know, Sean Shelby and Nick Maynard, Joe Silver, Dana White, all those kind of people, they treated me. So I enjoyed it, man, but I'm 33 years old and turn 34 at the end of the year and for me now it's about you know doing things that I never got to do like so for so long my entire focus was on getting to the UFC you know there's a lot of guys that fight in Japan and fight in Russia and do these like cool things and let fighting take them across the world for me it was like one goal and that was to fight in the UFC and so did that so now there's you know I have firefights, I might fight for another five years. I'm I'm not sure I don't have a specific goal now, but um uh what I'd like to do is I'd like to go off and, and fight in Ryzen or maybe Bellator. Um I want the biggest fights that other promotions can give me. Uh, I don't care about titles, I just want big fights and I, I want to travel, I want to go to Japan, I want to go to Russia, I'd like to go to Europe again. So, you know, if there's promotions out there that want to take me there, you know, um, pay, pay me you know, obviously, I want to still make money off it, you know. So, uh, I'm not going to fight for free anymore. And I'm well, practically free. And I used to fight for $1,000 in Australia and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. It's I'm older. I get injuries. So, for me right now, the focus will be to just sign with um, some bigger international promotions and travel the world and put on uh, awesome shows, you know, as, as I always have, but just in different parts of the world. And uh, um if I win three, four, five in a row, and the UFC take me back, so if not, I'll hang them up. Yeah, you definitely built your name with the fights that you have taken and the way you fight. So I'm pretty sure a lot of these promotions are looking at you right now and thinking of matchups because you do fight in the glamour division. I think the lightweight division is a glamour division because every promotion, if you look at Ryzen, you look at one championship, uh, ACB, they all those lightweight divisions are stacked with talent and you could fight any of those guys immediately. So do you have any guy you want to fight, you know, in one of those promotions? There's, there's no one, you know, I, I wanted to fight some people in the UFC that I've looked up to for a long time. It had nothing to do with rankings, you know, like I would have just loved to have shared the cage with them. For me, I don't have any particular names, but, um, you know, if, you know, if Ryzen's got someone that wants to stand and trade and then they want they want someone to come over and put it on a show, then let's do it, you know. Um, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I, I'm only focused on having fun, traveling the world and putting on awesome fights. So, uh, you know, I don't really care who it is. Um, yeah, just anyone at 155, I guess. So, Has anybody reached out to you yet? Um, no, so I got a I got a manager in the states. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully people, you know, I'm not I'm not too sure whether people are reaching out to him because I don't know if they even know that he manages me. But um, hopefully, you know, if people want to reach out to me, they can reach out to George Prajan. Yeah, hopefully, um, you know, some people reach out to him. But um, I've asked him to talk to Ryzen and Bellator, so uh, 
I'll just wait and see what happens. I mean, I'm still I'm still recovering from a knee surgery and um, and my foot surgery. So, uh, you know, another thing I'm grateful for, the USC paid for my knee surgery and they're still covering all the recovery and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, the release was nothing more than a business decision. So, you know, I feel I'm, I'm blessed and super appreciative of that. So, yeah, no one's reached out to me, but, um, you know, if they want me, I'm here. They know where to find me. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, your recovery. You know, you had surgery on your knee and you mentioned your foot. How, what is the timeline? When can you be back in the cage? Well, there's no, there's no real like specific timeline on it. Um, I've got, uh, I've got about five more weeks, I think, until I can um, train a hundred percent. And then look, I'm back training now, but it's, it's very limited. I uh, still got some pain in my knee joint um, when it's loaded and stuff. I still get a bit of pain when I walk. So uh, we'll just wait and see how that goes. But I should be able to train with most stuff in the next five weeks. And then I should be able to compete in the next, um, you know, eight to ten weeks or something like that, like as in start a camp. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that, like, late September, October, November, Something like that. Um, you know, definitely by November I'll be a hundred percent. Like, like there's no there's no chance that by November, unless we're gonna have surgery again or something like that, because something's gone wrong. There's no chance that I won't be ready by then. But I I think like late September, uh, October I'll be ready for a fight. Well, that's perfect timing for Ryzen's New Year's Eve in December. So we'll see what happens with that, right? It'll be exciting to be able to go yeah, over there. Face somebody yeah. and go to battle. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, imagine, you know, for me, little old Aussie, take my family to New Year's in, uh, in Japan and, and fight at the same time. It's, uh, that's perfect. That's, that's exactly what I'm after. Now, there's a few hot topics going on in the UFC, mainly in the UFC, and I wanted to get your opinions on these topics, especially USADA. You were in the USADA pool, and nowadays people are coming out and exposing the loopholes in the testing everywhere. everywhere everywhere right so now i wanted to get yeah. your thoughts on this and you know what kind of loopholes are there and like what is your thoughts now that you're out out of the the testing uh i love the fact that it was drug testing i mean i'm a clean athlete i've got nothing to worry about um in saying that i don't really care if i fight someone who's juice and gills man like i it doesn't worry me. Like, if you want to use steroids, go right ahead. I mean, uh, you know, it's the, the way I see it is uh, MMA in general used to be open weight. You know what I mean? So you could take as much steroids as you want because at the end of the day, technical ability always beat uh, a size advantage. So, you know, I think I think it's it's awesome that they're trying to, to clean the sport up, but at the same time that, the program itself was an absolute pain in the backside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we used to have to put our quarterly whereabouts in. And if you're, if you just, I'm, I'm a shift worker. Right? So I work shifts around, around training. And then when I go to fight, I take two months off and I get ready for my fight. So if you just trained all year round, you trained at the same time each day. So you trained, you know, you did your, your strength conditioning or whatever at 10 a.m. And you, and you did your, MMA at 3 p.m. You could just put that in there and you're sweet and the rest of the time they just expect that you're at home. Um, 
but I've got to go for an entire three months. I'm going to put every single shift that I work in individually, which doesn't sound like a lot when it's only four times a year, but it's a real pain when you've got to spend two hours individually putting in every single day of what you do. Um, so from that point of view, it was, it was a bit of an admin nightmare for, for an athlete to have to do that. Um, it's good that I clean the sport. And then I suppose the loopholes go. Yeah, there's heaps of them there. I mean, uh, you know, GSP talked about it, about, um, you know, if you're taking a, you know, like some product that uh, may only stay in your system for like two or three days, but you have the effects of it last for, say, a month, right? Um, you can put in that you're in transit. They can't come and test you if you're in transit. You know what I mean? So for, say for me, for, as an Aussie, like I could say I'm flying to Singapore, right? And then the next day I'm flying back. Four hour flight. So they can't test me for two days then. Eh? Well, maybe I'll spend a day in Singapore, but I don't know where my address is. So you just put in, you know, you just put in that you're going to Singapore. Uh, and I think there's an option where you didn't have uh, unknown times or whatever. Um or unknown location and then you, you fly back say three days later so now you've got a transit day a day in singapore where you don't have a confirmed location and then you've got a day of travel back so now you've got three days for it to be out of your system and when you get tested on the fourth day if by chance they turn up on the fourth day which is no guarantee because it's random then it's out of your system you get tested but the effects are there for your flight so there's that one there's also like a they turned up at your door, they knock, and say your wife answers, and then she's like, yeah, no, he's not here. He, You know, he's doing whatever, or he got called into work. Like, I, I'm on call all the time, so, they, you know, he got called into work. They go, okay, no worries. How long is he going to be? Working a 12-hour shift. He got called into work. Okay, no worries. They go away, write the report, nature of the job, and you don't get a whereabouts failure. Right, but you may or may not. It's not guaranteed, right? But nature of the job is you 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 couldn't predict that that was going to happen <clears throat> because you got called in for an emergency or something. So then, um, they just go away, write the report, and submit it to your SADA, and you don't get a whereabouts failure because it wasn't it was unavoidable. Say it was like an avoidable situation. So they turn up and she just goes, "I haven't seen him. He's not home." Do you know when he'll be back? No, I've got no idea. Like, he could be gone for hours. He could be gone for a whole day. Okay, no worries. They go away. They fill out their report. It goes on your file as a whereabouts failure. You get two of those. On the third one, you get a 12-month suspension. So you could not be there twice randomly in a row. Now, for someone like me, I got tested six. I think I got tested like six or seven times in just over two years so you imagine like you know like say the first time they turned up i wasn't there and then the second time they turned up i wasn't there that's a whole like six month period i mean that's six months where i could use whatever i wanted as long as it was out of my system before they randomly turned up again it's it's so there's definitely ways for people to cheat if they wanted to cheat um so yeah, it's it's definitely not holdproof, um, but it's better than what they used to have, right? So. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation that they have, and I think as time goes, people start to figure out what's going on, and then start to find 
their ways of getting around things, you know, for the people that want to get away with something, right? So um, there's, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I like to think that most fighters are not using. I like to think that, you know, but. Well, we, all like to, we all like to think it, but, uh, you know, people just think it's part of the sport. It's cheating, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who was the first, the only person ever got a, an advantage through weight cutting was the first person to ever do it because then everyone did it. It's not an advantage anymore. Now it's a competition to see who can cut the most amount of weight to get the biggest advantage. But like the only person that ever had an advantage cheated by cutting water instead of staying on the scales of their walk around weight way back when, you know, it could have been hundred years ago, could have been 150 years ago. So it is, or it is, someone will always find a way to get an advantage. And then when you bring in rules or relations to combat that, then, uh, They'll find a way around it, you know. So uh, you guarantee there's people still using IVs, you know what I mean? There's no way they're not. Definitely. Now, I want to turn tables to the local scene. Australian MMA is blowing up. You know, you were part of it on your rise up to the UFC. You fought for XFC, Nitro, Brace. Now you got newer promotions like Hex Fight Series and Diamondback Fighting Championship. What is your thoughts on the scene now compared to when you were coming up? Um, in terms of where I live, Australia is pretty big, but in terms of Queensland and where I live, um, the scene at one point was like, there was like five Southeast Queensland shows. So like in a month, like three out of three out of the four weekends would have fight shows on now everywhere. And it was a bit watered down. It was hard to get fights because people were fighting on so many shows. But at the same time, it was easy to get on the show. Whereas now there's only a couple of promotions and I think it's it's better in a way because the, the, you know, the matchups are a lot better and um, there's, you know, there's a range of people to fight. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely better. There's definitely a higher quality athlete out there these days. Um, and you know Hex and and uh, AFC down in Victoria, they're doing a great job. And from what I hear, their production's really good as well. So um, yeah, it's it's the Australian scene's exciting at the moment. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of good dudes around. There's a lot of un undefeated fighters. Um, there's a lot of guys doing good things. Well, I think as the sport grows, I mean, guys are getting into this sport when they're kids now. So you know, that they're, they're coming through in their like early twenties or late teens and they've already got 10 pro fights. So it's crazy. It's definitely the sports growing as a whole and Australia's catching on. All right, Damien, thank you for your time. It was good to talk to you again and uh, hopefully you do land. I would like to see you in Ryzen and I think you feel the same way, you know, the vibes I get that you would like to go to Japan and fight for that promotion yeah. and, uh, yeah. And the production, you know, that old pride style. I would love it, man. I would absolutely love to fight in Ryzen. So hopefully they reach out to me and my manager and, uh, and we get matched up, man. I'll fight on September 30 if they want me to fight on that one. You know, Ryzen 13, like, let's do it, man. I'll, I'll fight then and I'll fight again on New Year's. So, uh, but hey, before I go, man, um, I just want the fans out there to uh, to look out for my boy, Aaron Blackie. He's... Um, He's 5-0 and he's struggling to find fights in Australia. The, the dudes represented Australia all over the world in judo. And, um, you know, he's fighting MMA. And he's an absolute weapon, man. He's a weapon on the ground. He's a weapon on the feet. He's got throws and transitions like no other. And um, 
He's fighting in two weeks' time in Queensland, and uh, he'll be six and zero after that. People will be people will be looking out for him. So shout out to my boy Aaron Black. He's on Instagram. I don't know his tag, but uh, jump on my followers and, and search for him. All right, Damien. Thanks for your time, and uh, I'll definitely be talking to you soon. Thank you, man. I appreciate it.